So, Oliver, who are we canceling today? Let's get rid of Disney Plus. They fired that what actress from The Mandalorian for speaking up about the way conservatives are oppressed. And I think that cancel culture is out of control. So you want to cancel Disney Plus because cancel culture is out of control? Yeah, yeah, like a boycott. Don't you get mad at other people and say cancel culture is out of control when they also boycott things, though? Uh, no. I mean, maybe, kind of, but, like, it's really different, okay? Okay, bro. Hey, everyone, I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Oliver Ashkline. And you're listening to Cancel Me, Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic around cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis and verbal shitposting. So, Caitlin, did you see after our very first show, we already got two people canceled? Are you talking about Andy Mills and Donald McNeil Jr. at The New York Times? I absolutely am. They are both out at the paper of record. We did it, Caitlin. Mm, I'm not sure we actually did it. It sounds a little bit like delusions of grandeur to me. (sighs) Okay, okay, okay. It wasn't us. But, you know, someone who said the N-word and another guy who has a history of alleged sexual harassment and had to give back his Peabody are no longer employed at one of the most influential papers. That's pretty big news. I mean, the canceled daddy made an attempt. But were they actually fired, though? Technically, no. They negotiated the terms of their resignation. And I'm pretty sure they got pretty sweet deals and, you know, a good bit of money. I'm glad that they're out, but I unfortunately don't think them being pushed out has a whole lot to do with making the workplace better or safer. I think they're just really putting out a PR fire, which is pretty yikes. That sounds about right. And if you want to hear more about what happened in these situations, you can go back and listen to our first episode two weeks ago. Now, before we get to the rest of the show, I want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters and listeners. Yeah, I was really blown away by the response that we had to our first episode. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but it seems like we got a really good reception. Yeah, no, the response on social media has been wild, like so beyond what I expected. And I also appreciate everyone who's been supporting us on Patreon. Uh, We've raised a little bit of money that will help us become a weekly show at some point. Right now, we're just publishing every other week. Also... I'm not sure people realize this, but reviews on Apple Podcasts really help. And we've been reading all of your responses, although some clowns, I think, gave us a one-star review just because they don't like us. Uh, Not because they didn't like the episode. Um, I'm just going to say that. But besides that, we are loving all of the love that you all are giving to us. Uh, Claudia shared a really lovely review that said, all jokes aside, the first episode was incredible. I loved listening to Oliver Ash and Caitlin's thoughtful insights and critiques on objectivity and political journalism, behemoth media corps, and political correctness across countries, eagerly awaiting the cancel daddy's next target. Definitely appreciate the reviews and love on social media. It really helps more than you might think. So... Today, we are going to start out by talking about Gina Carano, who was a former star on the Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. Caitlin, do you want to give us an overview of what's going on with Gina? Yeah, so Gina was actually let go from the show last week over some social media posts that really sparked a lot of outrage. And we are going to read those posts here shortly. So if you don't want to hear 
um, what's been characterized as an anti-Semitic Instagram post. I think just skip ahead 30 to 60 seconds here in the show. Caitlin, do you want to let listeners know who are still with us what the post said? Yeah. So she wrote on Instagram, Jews were beaten in the street, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Yikes. Uh, that is that is a pretty bad comparison. Yeah. And I think noting here that I am not Jewish myself, so I don't have you know the deep personal connection to this issue that Jewish people do. I do have quite a few Jewish friends who I've been having discussions with about this who were, I think, rightfully offended by this post. And you were telling me that the picture that accompanied the post was also added additional harm. Yeah. So the Instagram photo, was that actually from Nazi Germany? It was from Lviv, Poland, which is now part of modern day Ukraine, which is the site of a Jewish ghetto. And, you know, I have friends whose family died there. It's not something flip, right? You can't just make these comparisons. Like, there are no conservative ghettos. There will never be conservative ghettos just for people with political views. I think the comparison is frankly outrageous. Yeah, it's just a really insensitive comparison. It's completely outrageous. Um, Can you go over what uh, the Lucasfilm spokesperson said in response to these posts? Yeah, so a Lucasfilm representative said in a statement Wednesday, Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. So the response to this has been... A lot of people, you know, noting that Gina is losing work, is no longer on The Mandalorian. And I haven't watched The Mandalorian. And so reading this, a question I had, you know, the statement said that she isn't employed and there's no plans for her to be employed. Was she actually cut from the show? You know, was she like a central character who's now being cut? Was it unclear? I'm just really confused on that. So her character is kind of the leading female role in the show and I know that there were plans to have Gina co-star in another Disney Plus show that's like a spin-off. So I think those were the two big things that she had going on with Lucasfilms, which obviously won't be happening anymore. Okay, so she definitely is losing work in response to this, it seems. 100%. Okay. And then she was also dropped by her talent agency. That's correct. But again, a big caveat She already has a new agent, and it was announced last Friday that she has been signed by Ben Shapiro's company, The Daily Wire. They actually have an entertainment division, and she's going to be starring or producing some as yet unnamed production. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Every time this happens, (laughs) there's some conservative. Like, this is just like the Josh Hawley thing from two weeks ago where, you know, he went on this media tour about being canceled. And yet this conservative imprint, Regenery, picked up his book deal. There's like this right wing reputation laundering cycle that like everybody who ends up losing work out of quote-unquote cancel culture gets run through or they can continue to make a profit. 
And I guess this is why we have a show, right? <laughs> it is why, yeah. And the other thing about Gina is this is, you know, one in a long line of really insensitive and disrespectful posts. Yeah. So I think um, late last year, she made fun of trans people by putting beep bop boop in her bio for her pronouns. Yeah. And I saw that she tried to say that she wasn't making fun of trans people. And it was about exposing the bullying mentality of the mob that has taken over the voices of many genuine causes. And it was like saying, oh, she loves trans people, but like you're making fun of pronouns. That's transphobic. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the usual line of like, oh, we're not actually hating trans people. We're just hating the liberals that go too far in supporting them. And it's just a joke. Like everybody knows a pronoun joke is a poke at trans people at this point. She also spread a lot of fear-mongering inaccuracies about voter fraud in the 2020 election. She's shared anti-mask memes for COVID, and she liked tweets supporting the January 6th insurrection and posts that deny systemic racism. So it's like there's a long line of her just like inserting her political views into the public forum and people are allowed to react to that. Like that is what the marketplace of free ideas is supposed to be is you put your ideas out and people can respond. If you take away people's ability to respond, you are actually the totalitarian in that situation. I agree with that. And I think that like some people will say like, Oh, well you're saying that because you don't agree with her views, blah, blah, blah. But I think that if you're, you know, putting out ideas and views that, harm people, that dehumanize people, it seems reasonable that there's going to be a negative reaction to that. And there might be consequences for that. It's not about my political views. It's about, like, I respect people. Yeah. And, you know, New York Magazine's Jonathan Chait actually had a piece on Friday comparing Corano's firing to the Hollywood communism blacklist of, like, the 1950s, the McCarthyism era. And his argument... I think it's, you know, a fair argument to make. I don't necessarily think it holds water, but his argument is basically like she holds pretty bog standard conservative political views and she's being punished for that. Like, that's his argument. I'm not sure I buy that. I I do think that the post comparing conservatives to Jewish people living in Polish ghettos definitely crosses an anti-Semitism line. One of the frustrations that I have in this point is that, like, this is always the progression that these conservative celebrities make, right? Like, they start with these, quote unquote, mainstream conservative views, and then they push the line, and they push the line, and they push the line. And every time they get a fresh round of attention and publicity, then they cross the line, right? And that opens up the chates of the world to say, well, she actually is just being a pretty standard conservative. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. We've seen this act before where people will just push their social media presence to a point where people can't ignore it anymore. And I think that's what happened here. Um, And one of the things that I always pound on on Twitter is transphobia, the pronoun joke, is almost always a leading indicator of some other bigotry coming behind it. And it's worth noting that Lucasfilm had nothing to say about about her transphobic jokes in the past. Not to make this a trans thing, but like 
there is a pretty usual progression here for a lot of conservative personalities. I think Gina followed it and now she's going to cash in on the cancel culture grift economy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Ben Shapiro, her buddy who's getting her a new job now. The start of his career was really, really focused on transphobia and just making fun of trans people. Yeah, it's just a script that we've seen over and over and over again. To return it back to Chait's column, I don't think that this is modern day McCarthyism. There's a great many Hollywood actors who are conservatives who still get work. I think this particular post crossed a line that you're not supposed to cross, honestly. I'd say that the other thing that makes this really different from McCarthyism is it's not a government effort to silence people based on their political views. Like when we're talking about McCarthyism, we're talking about the government trying to root out dissent and target people who disagree with them, right? You're actually correct. And Chait himself actually notes this in his piece where he talks about Dalton Trumbo, who's a Hollywood writer who is blacklisted for following the Communist Party line in the 50s. But the difference is Trumbo was hauled in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee, which doesn't exist at this point. And Gina Carano will not be called in front of a House committee to testify about her political views. So that is one big difference. I, I just I don't think the comparison to McCarthyism is apt, but I do wonder whether there is a double standard between how actors with conservative views are treated versus liberal views. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So I see what people say when they say that there's a double standard, because if you look at, you know, mainstream Republican and mainstream Democrat opinions, more mainstream Republican viewpoints are going to face criticism because a lot of them are based in bigotry. And I think that that's fair. You know, I think that that's not so much of a political thing. It's a bigotry thing. And, you know, it does happen to align with politics as well. But I actually don't think there's a double standard because when you look at people who are to the left of the Democratic Party who, you know, are speaking out against oppression and racism, um, who are talking in support of abolition and kind of more radical change. You see people facing consequences for that when their beliefs go too far for their employer. We saw this in 2017 with L'Oreal Paris model Monroe Bergdorf. And, and, you know, Monroe was fired for talking out against systemic racism, you know, I, I would argue that there's not a double standard at all. And actually, the standards that we have around what is acceptable to say have been historically weighted towards conservative viewpoints and are moving a little bit to the center. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily a double standard. Yeah, I mean, nobody's getting canceled over calling for lower tax rates. Like, <laughs> the context matters. And I think Part of the problem that you're seeing with all of this is that conservatives, so much of what they believe in nowadays is just all culture war stuff about who counts as a person or who counts as an American or who counts as a voter. You know, they chose to insert themselves in a lot of these, frankly, non-political but cultural issues. And, it, you know, it's no surprise that people are going to react negatively to that sort of thing. I think that Lucasfilm and, and L'Oreal both reacted to what they saw as a PR nightmare, but I don't think that the two situations are comparable. No, they're really not. I guess this is part of what 
you know, the complaints about cancel culture are all about is that these people get scared of the PR disasters, but I don't know how you can curb that. Like, you can't ban people from complaining about somebody. And it's especially ironic that conservatives are always complaining about cancel culture because they also advocate for, like, right-to-work laws that take away employee rights to like challenge these firings so it's almost a double standard on their part it's like no like the employees in general should not be allowed to appeal negative employment decisions but also we should never be punished in our workplace for being an asshole and it's like you need to pick one side or the other you can't have it both ways because the only way i see it now is conservatives are basically saying you have no right to complain about anything I say. And that's just not how a free society functions. It's it's not, but that's how they want it to. It's also deeply ironic to me that like Gina Carano is some sort of right wing figurehead now because of this. Because when she first came into The Mandalorian, you know, her character is like this strong woman who like can really handle her own and she regularly beats up male stormtroopers and villains on the show. And it actually drew a lot of complaints from right wingers because, you know, these are people who don't believe that women should be portrayed as stronger than men. It's like deeply ironic that she is now a hero. Wait, 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 wait. The people who are upset that she's been let go of the show were angry when she was first introduced on The Mandalorian. Many of them, yes. Oh, my God. There's no, like, logical cohesion. It's all just whether you agree with them or not. Right. And if you're a conservative, you can do whatever you want. And if you're not a conservative, you should be stamped out and silenced. That's pretty much how they roll. I think something that really highlights this is, you know, all these people who are, like, frustrated and angry about cancel culture have the hashtag cancel Disney Plus trending. If you think cancel culture is bad and is going too far, why are you calling for the cancellation of anything? Yeah, it's like you also see cancel culture being invoked whenever there's like a boycott that happens. What was the thing in the campaign? Was it the bean company that like supposedly the owner supported Trump or like SoulCycle, I think, had the same thing where the owner of the business was a Trump supporter. So like liberals were kind of like, oh, I don't really want to associate with this. And then right wingers are going, oh, it's cancel culture. Oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But now they're doing the same exact thing to Disney Plus. Like maybe this is just a thing that happens where normal people have normal reactions to things that are happening in society. Maybe it's not actually cancel culture. Maybe it's just people disagreeing and maybe that's okay. Not wanting to buy something because of who it's supporting is not cancel culture. That's my right to use my money how I want to use it, right? It's letting the market decide. Isn't isn't that just capitalism <laughs> and free speech? Isn't that what that is? <laughs> oh my God, we're arguing for capitalism now. Ugh. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> But, you know, it's like that meme, you partake in society and yet you or you're criticizing society, but you're participating in society. I'm so smart. It's like that. It's like, this is the system that we have. Take it or leave it. I will leave it. I will leave it too. <laughs> in just a minute, we're going to talk to the incredible journalist Sarah Luderman and discuss whether Sia should be canceled for her new movie, Music. And the way the singer's been disrespecting autistic people speaking out against it. Stay tuned. 
Hey, everyone. If you're enjoying Cancel Me, Daddy, there's another podcast that I think you're going to want to check out. See, news and culture shows aren't made with trans folks like us in mind, and trans voices are routinely left out of the conversation, even though stories about us are everywhere. The Trans Slash Podcast with Amara Jones is changing that and giving our communities a voice. Amara Jones is a Peabody and Emmy Award winner. She's also a Black trans woman and a journalist. And Amara understands that telling our own stories and having a voice in the conversations that affect us will save trans lives. So if you're trans and want a show made for you, or an ally who wants to learn more, you should definitely tune in to the Trans Slash podcast. You should really listen, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a producer on the show. I have really found that listening to Amara has given me a little bit more hope in our world and in our country. And I think the way that she talks about things holds a lot of space for this despair that a lot of us feel, but also gives us reasons to hope. And I have found her perspectives to be really valuable. And Caitlin was actually on the show not too long ago. That's right. I um, have fond memories of that appearance. We had a great discussion. And I was really taken with how Amara is such a skilled interviewer. It was really an interesting production to be part of. And you can hear a new episode of the Translash podcast every other Thursday. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts right now. We're so excited to have the one and only Sarah Luderman as the very first guest on the show. If you're not familiar with Sarah, you should be. She's one of the top journalists covering disability with bylines in The Nation, The American Prospect, Slate, Vox, The New Republic, and so many other publications. We also happen to live in the same building, so this is uh, especially a thrill for me. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. It's been so long since we've seen each other. Yeah, the plague has been interesting for people's social lives. Sarah, I so appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this absolute mess that is Sia's new movie, Music, and her handling of the criticism around it. For those who haven't been following this, the musician came under fire last year when the trailer launched um, due to the irresponsible and offensive portrayal of autism in the film. That was bad enough, but then Sia doubled down and lashed out at people criticizing the film, many of whom are autistic. And it's just been a really nasty and sad episode to watch unfold. Um, is there anything that you would add to that, Sarah? It's it's all even nastier and sad for once you look at it from like an inside perspective. Like it just gets so much weirder. It's such a weird pop culture saga. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that Sia tweeted when people started criticizing the film was, fuckity fuck, why don't you watch my film and judge it? Sarah, I understand that you took one for the team and actually watched the film. How did it compare to what you expected? So fuckity fuck, I did watch it. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a bad movie. Aside from any kind of offense, like I just felt uncomfortable watching it. Like it was just very, to use internet parlance, cringe. I felt embarrassed for everyone involved in the movie more than I felt defense. What did you feel embarrassed about? So the character music is played by Maddie Ziegler, who is a collaborator of Sia's in a lot of the stuff that she's done. Yeah, so Ziegler is a teenager. I think she originally got her start on Dance Moms. And in some of the earlier interviews, apparently she was worried that people would think she was making fun of autistic people. 
And Sia reassured her that that was not the case. And I think that all of the adults in her life have failed her profoundly by telling her that. <laughs> like, she just, it's like she watched a whole bunch of videos of like autistic people on YouTube and then decided to try to imitate them. And it comes off as really mm, 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 just ham fisted and clumsy. Like, I, I wasn't even offended. I just felt bad for her. I was reading a Twitter thread yesterday that sort of showed clips from the movie and it and it basically was like this is completely over the top and uncalled for, especially, you know, with an actor who is not autistic themselves. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the conversation around music, both on social media and in more traditional media, has been around casting a neurotypical actress, Maddie Ziegler, for the role. And I understand like the importance of that conversation because we are underrepresented in in the acting community and like there aren't a lot of opportunities, but honestly, I don't think that the role would have been improved by casting someone autistic because the story itself is just so awful that there's nothing you could do. Different casting would just be putting a hat on a problem. The autistic character isn't really a person and pretty much just exists to further the redemption arc of the neurotypical sibling character. So basically, like, the main thrust of the story is about music's sister, Zoo. Zoo is a recovering alcoholic and is forced to care for her autistic sister, Music, um, after their grandmother, who was previously caring for her, dies. So... You know, Zoo's struggles with this new responsibility and grows as a person and it's all it all works out because she has a heart of gold. And it's like, yeah, you've, you've heard that story before. Too many times. Um, <laughs> so I've been saying that the way Sia has handled this is basically how not to be an ally 101, um, because it's just stunning to me how poorly she has responded to the criticism. Um, I'm wondering what her response has illustrated to you about her understanding of autism and her capability of telling a story like this with care. Well, my first thought when she started tweeting that stuff was, where is her publicist? Like, mm, <laughs> if I was her point. publicist, I'd be like, all right, time to log off. But I, I feel like Sia is just in this place in her life where she just has so much money and is so insulated that no one's willing to tell her that she's had a bad idea. And so, like, when people in the real world respond to like her bad ideas. She just like can't handle it. Like it's just, she's so insulated from criticism and from anybody telling her that like anything she's thought of is maybe not great. Yeah, no, it's been really painful to watch and she's just really doubled down. I'm sure you saw, but Sia told an autistic actor who was saying there were lots of other people who are actually autistic who could have played the lead role that maybe that person's just a bad actor. And she also defended herself by saying she consulted with Autism Speaks, which definitely is not an organization you should be going to. So the funny thing about that, like, so Autism Speaks has a reputation for being awful, uh, and they deserve that reputation. But interestingly enough, they actually did not meet with Sia and tweeted as much and also said that Sia maybe should have considered casting an autistic actor. Like, even Autism Speaks was like, <laughs> I don't want to be involved in this. <laughs> When you've lost Autism Speaks. Yeah, even Autism Speaks was like, yeah, no, I don't want to be involved in this. Wow. Have there been autism type organizations, advocacy organizations that have defended Tia in the in the movie? Yeah, so there's just one. Um, so I guess like this kind of goes back to 
One of the big conflicts in the autism community, and this is like really oversimplifying it, is between autistic adults and parents. I don't think that the lines are actually that clearly drawn, but that's sort of like the really, really simplified version of the conflict. And like the idea is like who speaks for the community, who is the voice of the community, who should be telling our stories, how should those stories be told. So at this point, like neurodiversity, like the idea that autistic people can speak for ourselves, um, that's pretty well established in the culture. But there is this really small group of parents that just like completely can't handle that. And so they went and formed this little teeny nonprofit called the National Council on Severe Autism. And um, basically, they're like the Voltron of like parent bloggers with bad opinions. Oh, God. They don't really have a coherent ideology. I think it's like important to emphasize that. Like, really, their only like thing that they believe in is that anything that's the opposite of neurodiversity is good. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, just like, the opposite of neurodiversity is good for these guys. So back when the backlash started against music, they decided that, oh, autistic adults on the internet think that this movie's bad. Therefore, we think it's good. So they've been running this campaign about how, like, actually music is really good before they ever saw it, before they knew anything about it. They have, like, all these blog posts up on their website about, like, how music represents the severe autism community. And, like, it really doesn't. Music is, like, really functional, actually. She really only has problems when it's convenient for the plot and, like, doesn't actually need that much help from Zoo. Basically, like, they didn't know anything about the movie. They just saw that, oh, well, I see that autistic people on the internet are upset. Therefore, we will embrace this. Mm. Yeah, they've they've been really happy to just glom onto like whatever ideological vehicle will have them. And that's sort of actually most recently been right-wing contrarian type websites like Quillette or Spiked because everybody else realized that their argument is garbage. Oh, and the best part is Sia ended up sharing a bunch of stuff from their organization because they were the only autism organization to say good things about them. So, like, she retweeted, like, this blog post from this dude named Yval Leventhal who, like, thinks that yogurt cured his autism. Just, like, complete cranks. And she boosted them just because, oh, like, there's an autistic person who agrees with me. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. But, like, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's okay. You should have seen my face during that rant. It was all scrunched up and, like, horrified because that that group, yikes. Same, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like they're just really dedicated to the idea that autistic people shouldn't have civil rights. And that's that's their thing. And Sia decided that was okay because it meant that an autistic person was telling her she did an okay job. Backtracking a little bit, I do have another question about the movie itself. So I understand that one of the things that folks were particularly alarmed about with the movie is its portrayal of something called prone restraint. Yeah. Um, this practice has killed people and is considered incredibly dangerous. I think Sia gave an apology about the scenes and added a warning. She didn't add the warning. It's all BS. She didn't add the warning. Okay. Yeah, she said she was going to, and then she didn't. I th- I wasn't sure because like the review copy I had didn't have the warning. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, maybe it'll be in the general release, but no. So, like, was Sia's apology just empty or, like... Yeah, no, it was completely empty. She didn't change anything. She didn't put up a warning. The only reason she's even sorry is because people were angry at her. And then the thing, the worst thing about the prone restraint in the movie is that it's portrayed as, like, this normal, loving thing that people do to their autistic loved ones. 
like the first time it happens, she's not face down. Um, she's face up, which is supine restraint. Supine restraint is actually safer in terms of like the person not dying, but mm-hmm. also like it's a situation where like you have the person holding you down's body pressed up against yours. So basically it's a situation where like Leslie Autumn Jr. is on top of a teenage girl on the ground. And when the character Zoo says, oh no, are you hurting her? He says, I'm just crushing her with my love. That is, it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then later on he like coaches her through doing it in the park. And that's the moment where the prone restraint is involved. And like both times it's just treated like this natural, helpful thing that you do when someone's having a meltdown or a hard time. And like, actually it's really traumatic and sometimes kills people. Like I, I she just didn't do any research. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I don't understand how you make a whole movie and not have anyone go, hmm, maybe having a fully grown man hold a teenage girl down on the ground isn't a great idea. Or hmm, Maybe the optics of this aren't great. Mm. Or, hmm, maybe holding down someone who's kicking and struggling might be dangerous. Like, just none of that crossed their minds. Yeah, so it seems like the criticism is pretty fair in this instance. Yeah, and, like, the thing that extra, like, sucks about it is I have some friends in part of the community that are non-speaking, like, the character in the movie. And they're actually part of this organization called Communication First. And they were given a review copy of the movie. And they're actually the reason that Sia said that she would add the warning and remove the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, But then she didn't end up doing that. And so my friends in that community, a lot of them have been restrained that way before in school or in psychiatric hospital situations or in other situations with staff. And it's traumatizing. Like it's a traumatizing thing to do to someone. And so to treat it like it's just this like light, normal thing was just terrible for them. Like, I'm not offended by this movie in the same sense that I think that a lot of other people are, but I can understand, like, it's just awful. Like, she just didn't think about other people at all. No, no. And she was talking about how she did research for three years and did all her homework and stuff. It's like, no, (laughs) you didn't even try. She just like I think she just watched a whole bunch of YouTube videos and then decided she was an expert. Well, and something else that that was really troubling um, to me that came up in your review was the anti-blackness and the racism. I don't feel like I'm an expert on that because it's like not really my lane. But yeah, it did seem pretty racist. I had to watch the movie twice before I like actually realized what country Ebo the character was from because they only say it once in passing, and like the rest of the time when he talks about it, there's this very like primitive Africa sense of of where he comes from in the movie that's like really offensive. I thought Leslie Autumn Jr. was savvier than this. Like he he basically shows up to be like the autism whisperer to like teach Zoo how to handle her autistic sister. He like barely has a backstory. The reason that like they say in story that he like is able to handle Zoo is that he had an autistic brother. But they only mention him once. We don't know what his name is. And then he's never mentioned again. Like, it, it's, it's yeah, he basically doesn't exist. Mm, no, it sounds like all of that was handled. Just the whole movie. The whole movie just sounds like a big mess. Oh, yeah. No, the, the whole thing is just a garbage fire. Um, and I think it's kind of hilarious that Sia is like, so there's this hashtag now on Twitter. that's like, stop bullying Sia. And it's like, I'm sorry, you think like a bunch of <laughs> autistic people on Twitter are bullying a pop star? Hmm. What? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Sia's fine. Like, I guess her feelings are probably hurt since everyone hates her movie. But, like, 
she's probably like floating around on a pool full of crystal right now. Like she's got a bajillion dollars and like, yeah, yeah, like it's ridiculous. There is nothing that anybody on Twitter could do or say that would actually hurt Sia. What do you think about the media coverage of this movie and the controversy? How do you think it's been? It's actually really interesting because I there's been a lot of responses like this to previous offensive portrayals of autism, and usually nobody listens. Usually it's just like a bunch of people on the internet yelling into the void. But this time there was like general media interest and like, I think someone at Slate wrote an article about the controversy that wasn't me. It's really interesting to see that like the stuff that my community says matters. Because like when Rain Man came out, no, like the people in the autistic community were saying the same things about Rain Man that they said about music. But Rain Man was like a really well-regarded film because like nobody was listening to our community. So yeah, I guess, I don't know. I think that like, I feel weird about like, retracting a film that's already been released but it probably shouldn't have existed at all and at least i'm a little gratified that like people are listening to the criticism instead of just like ignoring that autistic people exist and have opinions um so obviously our show is about you know quote-unquote cancel culture um so like i wanted to ask a little bit about like how do we resolve these things when situations like Sia's pop up where somebody does something that is just grossly offensive to an entire community of people like those people in my mind have a right to criticize right that's free speech it's definitely not bullying (laughs) but then you have this whole like economy of voices who immediately jump anytime there's criticism of somebody and they're jumping in saying this is cancel culture this shouldn't be happening but like if you're saying that criticism is not allowed where where do we draw the line with this like i would love to hear your perspective on where do we go from here yeah so i i think it's ridiculous to describe sia as being canceled over this like this is not going to stop her from making more music. It probably won't even stop her from making more movies. The only thing that's happening is that like other people who aren't historically in the room have been able to say on a larger platform than they used to be able to that the movie's not good. I don't really know what to do after something like this comes out, but I do think that having more autistic people in the arts, in media, in journalism telling more complex stories about autism from autistic perspectives, like all of those things would add up to an environment where a music, a movie like music simply wouldn't get made. And so I think that that's sort of where I hope we're headed. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, How can our listeners follow you and support your important work going forward? Um, I'm on Twitter at, S-L-O-O-T-E-R-M-A-N, Sluterman. I am extremely online, so (laughs) I usually tweet out my articles pretty regularly. I think, oh, I also have a newsletter called the NOS Letter that I'm doing through Substack. And so if people want to subscribe to that, I'd be pretty gratified. I do like a roundup every week of all of the disability rights and neurodiversity news that's going on. So like policy stuff, culture stuff. A lot of the time I'll write like a, a short essay about something that I couldn't get publication to accept. So like if people wanted to subscribe to my newsletter, that would be really cool. Um, thanks, guys. You just heard us talking with Sarah Luderman. 
talented journalist writing about disability with bylines in places like The Nation, The American Prospect, Vox, The New Republic, and many, many more. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, make sure you're subscribed so you get our episodes every other Thursday. And we love hearing from you. We want to hear more from you. Let us know what you want us to cover, what you like about the show. Leave us nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. And we love just hearing your thoughts on social media. And if you want to support us becoming a weekly show, you can also join our Patreon. We have some great rewards. We're getting a Discord community going. And you can get early access to some of our episodes. And some of our biggest supporters will be getting some information about our very first monthly video call soon. You can join and learn more about other perks at patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. So that is another one in the books for us, Caitlin. What do you think? You know, the one thing I'm struck by every time we go to record this is how much material we have to work with. It's like we could have done one of any like 10 different topics this week. So it's it's very hard, I think, sometimes to choose between what's going on. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even get to talk about constitutional cancel culture or Josh Whedon or any of the other nonsense going on right now. I can't wait to see what bubbles up in the discourse over the next two weeks. I, I I can wait, but I'm I'm excited to record our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> See everybody next time. Today's show was made by me, Oliver Ash Klein, and Caitlin Burns. Daniel Peter Schmidt made our theme song, and Eden MW designed our graphics. We also used music from Poddington Bear. Our show is made possible by our incredible cancelers on Patreon. A big shout out to Megan, the first person in the Cancellor Hall of Fame who's been bestowed the great power of cancellation. Happy canceling! <laughs>